If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. I will be reading Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. <clears throat> For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when He who had set me apart before I was born and called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, Word to the Apostle Paul. So Father, I ask that You do grace me to deal with even this text, even this argument of Paul on a Sunday morning that we would be like a magnet to it. And to say, why is this so crucial for all then, and thus why is it so crucial for me today? And so to that end, help me explain nothing more than what is here. And we are desperate for the work of your Spirit to open our hearts to what our mind sees in this text to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we get to the text, I want to just open up with a question for you to think about. Just kind of hold it there, even throughout the sermon. And that is this, when it comes to truth in life, whether, whether you're a juror sitting in a jury on a criminal trial, or whether you're sitting in a church on a Sunday morning. Here's the question. 
Do you listen to arguments? Do you listen for sound reasons to believe the attorneys at the trial or the preacher on Sunday morning? That's the underlying lesson or it is a underlying lesson of this passage this morning. Don't be swayed by emotions. Don't be swayed by the numbers of people who may come to believe something. Don't be swayed by the energy in a Christian worship service. The musicians are great. The songs are wonderful. And you just feel. Therefore, everything's got to be true. Don't be persuaded by personalities or the charisma of any preacher. Be persuaded by what is true. And thus, by the arguments that lead you to the truth. Because eternal life or anathema, as we saw last week, may be at stake. As it is at stake in this letter of Paul's to the Galatians. This is the third week in our journey through Galatians. And so as we pick up in verse 11 now of chapter 1, I want to first just tie together, let you see the connection again between verse 1 and then verse 11. In verse 1, Paul said, Paul, an apostle, not an apostle from men, nor through man or the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised Him from the dead. And now verse 11. For I would have you know, brothers, that the Gospel, the good news, the message that was preached by me is not man's Gospel or according to man. Paul's apostleship and His message are tied together. If Paul is not an apostle, on a par with Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, Matthew, etc., then he has no claim to that authority. And if his message he gave to them was learned at the feet of others, even the bigwig apostles, then he himself is not an apostle with an independent authority. So, as I just read verses 11 through 24, you can't hear that if you're awake and not think, whoa, Paul seems to be a little bit defensive. Why? Because he loves the Galatians, the churches he planted, and he wants them to make it to the resurrection of Jesus. We saw the reason why last week in verses 6 and 7, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting God for a different gospel. 
which is really not another. It looks so close. Only there are some other Christian teachers who want to distort the gospel of Christ. So that's the reason why. It is this message. That, yeah, we agree with Paul on the resurrection of Jesus. He is the Messiah. He died for sins. You have to have faith. But we're coming to bring a little correction of some things he left out. That's the message they want to preach. They're there in those cities of Galatia. But along with that, they also therefore had to discredit Paul. Paul's the champion, along with Barnabas, that brought the message of salvation through Jesus Christ to these Gentile Christians. They have an affection for him. So these teachers, to get their message in, have to kind of chop Paul down a little bit. And that's what's happening. So, in other words, what we have here when we read verses 11 to 24, it's like listening to Paul on a telephone. You, you can't hear the other voices on the other side. But if you listen long enough to Paul's responses and what he's saying in tone of voice, you start to pick up the whole conversation of what the others are saying. And it's the same here. So, as we read through verses 11, all, actually all the way to chapter 2, verse 10, which we'll get to next week, because it's all really one piece, there is a picture that emerges that he's dealing with. And that is that these Christian teachers, that we'll call Judaizers, they're saying, Paul... You know, he wasn't one of these original guys around. He was a persecutor of the church. He wasn't a Christian. And later he got converted to Jesus. And he was under the authority of the other apostles. He listened to the teaching of the apostles. And that's how he got the gospel. We are coming from Jerusalem also in their self proclaimed official representatives of Peter. John, and James, Jesus' brother. And so we're here to tweak a few things that Paul messed up. We agree with most of it, but that's that. Bottom line, Paul was tutored under the apostles. Paul was not on the same level as Peter or Matthew, James, John. Paul did not walk with Jesus as they did. Live with Jesus as they did. Paul was not there at the Last Supper as they were. And yes, down the road now, 16 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Paul went to you and planted these churches. That's right. And he gave you the core of the message of Jesus. But he left out some important things and we are here to correct it. Bottom line, Paul was wrong on how you get saved by the cross as a whole. We come from the Jerusalem Apostles with the correction. That's what they're saying. And so as we work our way through this text and this morning just begin to deal with how Paul is going to address it, I want you to hear something. 
not just, but yes, absolutely, hear the actual content of Paul's statement and his argument for it. Yes. But more than that, underline it, I want you to hear the fact that Paul argues. He gives reasons. He gives facts and draws logical conclusions. And he does it to get these people to heaven. Start verse 11, chapter 1 of Galatians. Actually, if you have a real Bible, yeah, you know, if not, okay. It's easier to see that way, that's all. Paper. Notice verse 11 there, and work your way all the way down through chapter 1, and then into chapter 2, verse 10. See all of that? That's all one big, huge piece. And for that, that, all of those words you see there, there's only one main point he makes. And it is in verses 11 and 12. That's it. That's the main point. The rest is his argument for it. So let's look first at verses 11 and 12. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Or literally, according to man. Now look at verse 12. See the word for? Now he's going to explain what he just meant there. Okay, This is what I mean. For I did not receive it from any mere man. Nor was I taught it by any mere man. But I received the message, the gospel that I preach, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now just stop for a moment. He's going to go on and explain that. Just so, so quickly, if you've got any Pentecostal and charismatic roots, he doesn't mean that he sat under a tree and he had this happy thought one day. When he says a revelation of Jesus Christ, he means God the Father revealed that man Jesus who died and then who rose to me physically in his resurrection. And he on numbers of occasions appeared to me and taught me it. His, that's the main point then. My gospel is not from man. It is directly from the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. I am not a second-hander. I am not just delivering what I got from the other apostles. That's the only point he makes until the middle of chapter 2. Now, just we'll pause for a moment on that. I did not learn the Gospel from Peter, from Matthew, Bartholomew, John. I didn't sit and get tutored by them about the Gospel. But if you notice in our, in our text, you just go down to verse 16 for a moment. Paul admits he went to Jerusalem later and he hung out with Peter for 15 days. Come on. 
Don't tell me Paul's not going to be just grilling Peter. Okay. What was that like at the Last Supper? What about G- What did he say here? These stories. Let, let me, give me your experience. I mean, he's not, they're not just talking about baseball stats for two weeks. Okay. So, is that a contradiction? I was not taught. And the answer is, there's no contradiction at all. See, Paul's point here, I didn't receive it from men, I wasn't taught by men, but directly through this revelation, Jesus Christ was revealed to me in the flesh in His resurrection, is that He, Jesus, as we saw a few weeks ago, the, cri- the criteria of what a New Testament apostle is, who's a revelatory spokesperson, a personal mouthpiece of Jesus, is that you encountered the resurrected Jesus and He commissioned you personally as His apostle. That's what Paul is claiming. But more than that, that Jesus commissioned me, Paul, as the apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus taught me through the Hebrew Scripture, theologically how all the meaning of the cross works, and how you take the Gospel of Jesus from the Jews to non-Jews without requiring them to take up Jewish cultural distinctions that are laid out in the books of Moses. And underlying that is the message even for Jews that when anyone takes any law from Moses, whether it's merely cultural, like what you eat and don't eat, or whether you're circumcised or not, ceremonial, or whether it's moral, don't murder, don't steal. Anyone who thinks that you can take those laws to you, then let me practice them, and then that is my jumping stone into being saved by Jesus, is no gospel at all. Now I'm going to pause for a moment just so you can see how huge this is in the New Testament about what Paul is claiming about his unique authority as an apostle, specifically with the goods on how you preach it to Gentiles. In Acts 26, before King Agrippa, pick up in Paul's speech in verse 15, he's on the Damascus road, and he says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But arise and stand on your feet for this purpose, Paul, I have appeared to you in order to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will in the future appear to you. Delivering you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. At the end of Romans in chapter 15, he writes, 
But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace, he means a special grace that he had from Jesus as an apostle, because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the non-Jews, the Gentiles. Ministry as a priest, the Gospel of God, that my offering of the Gentiles might become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. One more. In Ephesians 3, starting with verse 1, Paul writes, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you Gentiles. That is this, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. To be specific, here it is. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of His power. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given in order to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. Okay. So, what Paul is claiming in Galatians 1, I didn't learn it from men, I wasn't taught, but directly through a revelation of Jesus Christ Himself, is that He learned the depths of His Gospel. Not just the historical accounts, which is so public knowledge. He means the unfolding of the Hebrew Scripture and how it was always there and the different covenants that are laid out and that Jesus brought in. The New Covenant. All the depths of that. How it works itself out from the Jews to the non-Jews. Jesus gave to me. And that's what He goes on to say in verse 16 of our passage too, right? When He was pleased to reveal His Son to me, notice, not just to reveal and make Him an apostle, but very specific. See the purpose clause. To reveal Jesus to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. Okay. That's Paul's main point. All the way up until the middle of chapter and then starting with verse 13 all the way through is his argument underneath that point to prove that point to support that point so 
Let's take it piece by piece, his argument. Start with verses 13 and 14. For, that means now he's going to argue what he's just proclaimed. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Stop. It's public knowledge. Paul was pretty open with it when he was there. Paul's life is pretty much public knowledge. You've heard it, Galatians. And don't misunderstand Paul here when he says, my life in Judaism, to think that his Judaism meant how he followed the one true God. It's not what he means. Because he goes on to explain his Judaism. For you have heard about my former manner of life in Judaism. Here it comes. That is, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism. I wasn't retreating. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. I was being so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul is claiming, and he wants the Galatians and us to hear this, I was in no way slowly turning to the arguments that Jesus was a Messiah. I was the best Pharisee. I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. I'll prove it. I got credentials. I tried to get killed and succeeded and imprison Christians and tried to stamp out this Jesus sect within Judaism. That's my credentials. That's his argument. You, you know, it. let me just, if you don't, the man we're talking about hated Christianity. In Philippians 3.6, Paul says, I, as tis my zeal in my former religious life, I was a, this is a badge of pride for him then, I was a persecutor of the church. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I am the least of the apostles and unfit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Before Agrippa in Acts 26, he says, And I punished these Christians often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And Luke tells us after Paul was responsible for the murder of Stephen, because he was a Christian in his preaching, Luke says, Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Okay, that's Paul. He says, that's the way I was going. Why did he want to destroy the church? If you understood his religion, his understanding of being made right with God, you would understand why the message of Jesus got him so angry. 
the gospel of Jesus was a horrific threat to everything Paul was about. It said, Paul, all of your works of the law, your religiosity in which you say, I do this, we are good with God. The Jesus sect comes along and just lights a match to it and burns it up. And he's going to put a stop to it. That's Paul. Paul describes his life as a, as a pre-Jesus this way in Philippians 3. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to my zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. That was his perspective. And then the Jesus message comes. And it says, your Judaism and that approach to God is worthless. And he hated the message. And so Paul shows here now to the Galatians, that's the pathway I was on. My heart, my guts, my intellect, everything was extremely zealous for my man-centered, prideful religion. There's no way in the world some fisherman telling me about Jesus being the Messiah was going to persuade me. In fact, I was advancing in Judaism, not retreating. I wasn't drifting slowly toward Christianity. I was very zealous for the traditions of my fathers. And by traditions there, he means, most scholars think he means, I think he means, not merely the Scripture, but the oral traditions, the halakha, the same thing that Jesus throughout His ministry was dealing with when He spoke so roughly with the Pharisees. As He said in Matthew 15 too, Why do you transgress the commands of God in the Scripture? For the sake of your traditions. That's the path Paul was on. And then the next step in his argument. Verses 15 to 17. Then God. Then God supernaturally intervened and the resurrected Jesus appeared to me. So he starts off with that when clause in verse 15. But when He who had set me apart before I was born, and I hate that the ESV did that, because literally he's, he says, when He who had set me apart, before I was in my mother's womb, because if you're a Bible person, you realize that's prophet language. That's Jeremiah. That's Isaiah. And Paul's doing it purposefully here. 
is a revelatory spokesman for God. But when He who has set me apart even before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. He says, that's what changed me. No listening to some fishermen about Jesus persuaded me that would have been absurd if you understood who I was. Now, if you understand, how is it that this Pharisee of Pharisees who actually committed to prison and some to death and got official papers from the Jewish hierarchy to go to foreign cities and arrest Jews who would believe in Jesus, how is it that that guy turned into a person who's eaten bacon, lettuce, and tomato sandwiches throughout Gentile cities while he preaches the Gospel? He says the only way to explain it is the truth. Jesus appeared to me. So that's this... See, that's... When... God did this, and then He goes to the main clause. When I was encountered by Jesus, let me now be clear about my itinerary, where I was, when I was, and where I was not. Why does He do that? Well, obviously He's doing it because at the other end of the telephone line, He knows the Judaizers have been lying about Him. They're making up a story how he has just been an underling of the other apostles. And so that's what he goes on to refute. So, look at When that happened, I did not immediately consult with anyone in flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem, from where he just came on the road to Damascus. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before I became an apostle. That's what he means by before me. Didn't go there. Now think about it. In the original, it really stands out. When that happened, and then he puts for emphasis. When that happened, immediately, he did not do something. That's strange. Because usually you use immediately that you did something. But here it's immediately, I did not consult with any mere flesh and blood teacher. Nor did I immediately at all go back up to Jerusalem from where I just came, which would have been so natural. But instead... In the appearances of Jesus and with my Bible open. There's something about the experience, I just have to say that Jesus said, you're not doing that now, that deliberately kept Paul away from Jerusalem on purpose. Which would have been so natural for him to go back. He had a home there. It's where he lived. His point is, I was not tutored by the other apostles. But I was tutored by Jesus. Jesus was for these first three years and then more revising my reading of the Scripture. Jesus was 
instructing me and correcting all of my thinking from Jewish legalism to the intended meaning of Moses and the prophets and the grace that was always there and the faith which one was to always respond to it. And that the law had only one human being who came and fulfilled it to the T, which is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who thus inaugurated the new covenant and therefore much of what it demands and the way it demands is over with. Jesus was doing this for me. I did not immediately go there, but immediately to Arabia, alone time, back to Damascus, almost 200 miles north of Jerusalem, almost 300 I think. In other words, I was nowhere around the big wigs. wasn't anywhere around. And then, verse 18, then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, Cephas is his Aramaic name, to visit Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. So, he says, I was three years with my Bible, filled with the Spirit and with appearances of Jesus compared to then finally 15 days with Peter. I am not a disciple of Peter or James or anyone. Jesus appears to me. Immediately I don't go, but immediately I stay away for three years. Then 15 days in Jerusalem, I met Peter, and then gone. Far away. Four to five hundred miles north, nowhere to be around any of these big wig apostles. But, but just briefly, then he inserts this oath over against the lies of these other Christian teachers. I, that's what he means here, swear to God my story is true. Saying, I have no fear of divine judgment for anything I am telling you right now. And of course that oath clearly implies, right, there was another account of who Paul was and his story. And now verse 21. Then, there it is again, you can see the progression. Then, after Jerusalem... I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Okay, stop. So he left Jerusalem. Remember, he has a hometown called Tarsus. And he also has a home in Jerusalem. From Tarsus, it's mainly where he went. It's in the region of Cilicia. Then eventually, if you remember, Barnabas went to go get Paul. We need him in Antioch, which is in Syria. Okay. So for years now, he is nowhere around the apostles to be tutored or taught. 
by them. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown. They couldn't pick me out of a police lineup. They didn't know what I looked like. They just kept hearing. Who? The Jews in the Jewish homeland of Judea and Jerusalem. I was nowhere around. No one really knows me. I wasn't there. I didn't hang there. They, I was remaining unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And then he adds, And they glorified God because of me. Read your Bible this way. Ask, why does he do that? Because like a lot of us, he doesn't just say, happy thoughts that come to him and say them or write them down. He's got a reason. And I think you can hear the implication, Galatians, they glorified God because of the grace of God that was given to me as an apostle to the Gentiles, the Jews throughout Judea. They weren't all infected with this horrific doctrine. It was a segment within the Jerusalem and Judean church. They glorify God as you ought to be doing. Okay. We'll see he carries on his argument next week. And he'll say, and then again, 14 years later. But that's enough for this morning when it comes to the text. Here's the one thing I want to say. This defense that Paul made, these arguments that he just laid out and we heard, it is in your Bible. That if you have one, if you bought one, got an app for one, it's God's sovereignty. And it's there for you and for a reason. What we see here in the passage is that based on the evidence which the Galatians now could raise a bunch of money and send a committee it's going to take months on end journey in those days to go all the way to Jerusalem and Judea and check out everything Paul is arguing to support his point. Paul makes here a very compelling argument that these professing Christian teachers that have come to you are lying about me. And what they want to add to the Gospel is wrong and may a curse beyond them. He is arguing that His apostleship and thus His message, His Gospel, what He laid out of the whole shebang, not merely the historical facts of the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus, but the theological meaning and the implication and how it was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. And how can any of you be saved by it? 
I left nothing out. They're saying I did. Paul argues. And therefore his main point stands. For I would have you know, brothers, that the Gospel that was preached by me is not according to man. For I did not receive it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Galatians, you better think. You better take my arguments seriously and make a decision. And make the right decision. And heed my gospel. And kick these guys out of your churches. It's probably late 40's or right around the year 50. The first century. And already there was a different gospel that looked and sounded so close to the real one. They had no problem saying, Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the Son of David. He worked miracles. He was crucified on a cross as the Lamb of God to take away sins. And on the third day, God raised Him from the dead. You've got to come. You have to believe this. They said all of that. And then he added a couple things. It sounds so close in the first couple decades. But it was a different gospel. And it's the same today. It's the same as it was in the 300's when well-meaning Christian preachers started to come out more clearly about what they thought about Jesus. He is a super-duper human. No, He's not eternal. He's not God Himself. And then the church goes, What? We never teach that. And then a controversy comes. They preach everything else. Christian life, Christian morality, worship. But oh, they got the Gospel wrong. Hundred years later or so, a man named Pelagius, a Christian preacher, and many of his followers... Yeah, human beings aren't that bad. Even without any of the grace of God moving, we could actually be sinless. And you know, and we can come to faith without any grace from God whatsoever. Well, eventually, and rightfully so, it was condemned as heresy. A thousand years after that, in the 1500s, the question is, is the church and traditions and, and, and the western part of the world is just become almost one and the same with the church and Christianity. Opening the Bible, questions began to arise. How is it that one is saved by the cross of Jesus? Are we saved by our response of hearing that good news by a heart of faith alone? 
Or, oh, and it sounds so close. By faith in Jesus, plus adding works to that in order to be justified. And there was a great reformation. Division. Split. Over it. And today, there are so many variances on the Gospel that vie for people's attentions. Gospels that purposefully leave out significant biblical teachings. But, ah, they might turn away if I said that. And we want to gather more followers. We want to tickle ears. Or some churches are just entrenched in legalism. People raised up in churches and they have no idea what the gospel of justification by faith alone is. In other words, just the teaching of Paul in Romans, in Galatians. No clue. They know that, oh, you're a Christian. can't grow a beard. You can't do this. You can't wear that. You've got to do it this way. And there's Christianity. Or the other error of cheap grace. Yeah, the grace of God. Meaning, we think the grace of God is a grace that does not necessarily have power to change born-again people at all. So as long as you pull the lever and you said a prayer and you walked an aisle, you're good. And it sounds so Authority and truth are the central issues of this text this morning. There were competing views of the Christian life. There was Paul's and there was the Judaizers. And according to Paul, heaven and hell were at stake. Anathema. They can't both be right. And for Paul, believing and living the true Gospel is the most important thing in the world for these Galatians. And for us. Paul is forcing upon them. And he's forcing upon us the issue of truth, which means, it means he is forcing upon them and he's forcing upon us to think. To think through his reasons. To think through his arguments. That's the Bible. And there's no way around it. Christians, And Christian communities are to be a people for whom clarity matters. For whom truth matters. We live in a day and an age where sometimes people will say, why can't you just only be positive? I mean, just say this. Because I wouldn't be a good teacher. Nor would anyone 
one of the best ways to teach clearly is to use the positive and the negative. Because it's one thing to say, believe this and let's leave it undefined. Well, then people walk away believing all kinds of various things that may not be true about that. But this is not just true about theology or gospel. This is true about everything in life. Okay, the truth is this, and therefore it is not that. You know what that just did? That just made that a little bit more concise, clear. A little bit less fuzzy. And Paul does this all over the place. See, the question for every one of us sitting in here right now is, can what you think about God, about Jesus, about the cross of Christ, about His resurrection, about the local church, about church life, about how Christians are to live. We can go on and on. The question is always, can what you think about those things stand up to the scrutiny of the Bible? See, if we believe that all Scripture is inspired by God, is inerrant, is infallible, then we must be a people for whom truth matters. You see, truth, statements of truth or denial, like propositions, you're, you, you are affirming this or denying something else, and out of that comes, this is what I believe, it's called doctrine. Doctrine, truth, statements, all of that are only as good, only as reliable or strong as the arguments or reasons that undergird them. And that lesson jumps out in our passage. Paul doesn't only scream, Believe me! But he argues, step by step. Think about it. Check it out. Here are my reasons for why my contention is true. The Gospel of Jesus Christ and how people are saved by that message and how they are to go on living day by day, week by week, and year by year until they die. Those answers are all in this book. Don't relativize it. The meaning is there on the pages. Read it carefully. Let the Apostle Paul speak or John speak or Moses speak or Jeremiah speak. Let them have their say by good paying attention to what they wrote. Dig. Love it as if it were your life. And when you run up against things in the Scripture... 
that don't agree with what you thought before you got confronted with that, then for your soul's sake, change your thinking to be in line with the clarity of the truth of Scripture that hit you. Go get search. God has ordained to save sinners through the message proclaimed. And the truth of that message is in this book. So I just say, dear believer, read the book as if your life depends on it. Because it does. Father, I pray that people leave here today energized by Your Word, by Your Spirit, Father, I pray that the effects of this passage would cause such confidence in Your saints as they're alone with their Bible. That yes, if they're reading Paul, Paul's right. I believe that. And therefore, this is Your Word through Him. May You do that in us throughout this week as we, with our hearts and not just our minds, draw near to You, Father, to find grace and help, comfort, correction, rebuke, instruction in times of need. Father, we thank You that the only reason Paul could write what he wrote The only reason that this morning I could preach what I preached is because You did not spare Your own Son. But You gave Him and You delivered Him up for us all. And therefore, for all who have come to Him, there is nothing around the corner that will ever separate us from Your love to us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.